This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Mari Forth. And I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. Subscribe to our feed, robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed to get your true crime on Tuesdays. Mari, what are we talking about today? Let's open today's file. We watched I Love You, You Hate Me, directed by Tommy Avalon. It's the two-part Barney documentary on Peacock. Oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> oh, and to discuss it, we have two wonderful guests with us from the Shit the 90s Taught Me podcast. It's Jess Sterling and Sarah Ferguson. Ladies, welcome. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Yes. We are so glad to have you guys here. Uh, we specifically saw this. I saw this. I was like, I want them on. Uh, we need to get them on here. Yeah. Let's start with Jess. Uh, what is your true crime origin story? Are you a true crime fan? Uh, do you like it? You don't? What, yeah. What's your background? I'm like one foot in, one foot out, I think. Every once mm-hmm. in a while, I really fall down the rabbit hole of true crime, right? Like, I, I especially like the the documentaries that come out, like the Jean Benet stuff, mm-hmm. like all of those. Um, What was the that one that came out in like 2020 there was like the murder one with the beard the guy with the beard anyway it's uh it was a making big of the murderer making a murderer one? that's yeah. the one and you yeah, i just felt, like I said yeah, I will oh was it was it that long ago it just felt yeah it's just i fall down the rabbit hole i've listened to a few true crime podcasts in my day um, I tend to like the more lighthearted ones if I can, but sometimes I have to bounce off to something a little bit more lighthearted because the world is a little bit dark enough as it is. Um, but yeah, I do really do like true crime. I think it's really interesting. Um, I tend to like ones that are like solved though, because the unsolved yes. ones just feel so like sad and you know, <laughs> a sadder. Oh, boy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm that's me. You. How about you, Sarah? I have definitely had times in my life where I was all in on true crime, whether it be documentaries or, of course, we were all watching serial or listening Mm -hmm. to serial back in the day. I think that was probably my first true crime podcast. And it's because it was so mainstream, like everybody was really checking it out. Um, It's funny that Jess said, you know, she wants stuff lighter because I found myself ever since 2020 stepping away from absorbing a lot of true crime. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just because of the heaviness of what was going on then. Now I lean more towards, I like fraud stories, whether that be (laughs) like 
the catfishers or the fryer festivalers mm-hmm. or uh, I like it. I like ones that where they lure you in and you think that something's going to happen. And guess what? Everything's like misery more so than more uh, murder. Yeah, I'm definitely mm. pro misery, less murder. That's what it is. <laughs> um, you so, were big yeah. on the Tinder swindler, weren't you? I, I remember. I mean, you- yeah, okay. I think the Tinder, Tinder swindler, like number one, it has that catchy name. Love mm-hmm. that. Love the dumb bees that just been tricked <laughs> by the Tinder swindler. That's always so good. I'm definitely oh, like, because no. you think about it, you're like, how would I get into this? And like a lot of the times it's like, no, there's no freaking way you're going to drag me over to Woodstock 99. Worst thing <laughs> in my life. I will never sign on to a fire festival. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. maybe I would fall in love with somebody that's like, oh, let, do me a favor. Like, just transfer over $500,000 and I'll be yours forever. <laughs> my enemies, my enemies. Like, that maybe I can go down the road with. But yeah, I'm definitely more into, like, the fraudulent crimes, more mm-hmm. so the murder crimes as of recent. But um, catch me on a good day and maybe I'll be into a little bit of murder, too. You don't want to say to people, just don't be poor. Don't be poor. <laughs> Don't be poor. Yeah, I, I, need to, I need to learn that lesson myself. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that is what we like. We've been saying uh, across our, our series here. It does seem that you're you're either people are either going away from true crime because the reality of what's going on is very, very hard right now. Or it's like you're, you're going full on into the really gruesome stuff just to remind yourself that I guess it could be worse. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad we got, we have you guys on here for something that is not a murder. Like, yeah, even though they, and uh, even though they made it seem like it as much as possible. Oh <laughs> my gosh. On I our way to the Skywalker. I so felt swindled with, by the by the documentary because yes, I knew we were coming on this podcast, and I was like, okay, there has to be some kind of crime, right? Like we're going on the <laughs> oh, podcast yeah. talking There's about crime. crime. Where is the crime, <laughs> Mary? Before we get to the crime, I've just got a, mm-hmm. a true crime update for everybody that was uh, hanging Ooh. on uh, October seventeenth, which was the date that uh, Elizabeth Holmes of Thanos was supposed to be sentenced. Because everyone was very interested to see uh, what she mm-hmm. would get. Uh, there's, of course, been an appeal that has to be uh, looked at before she before she can actually be sentenced. And so the date has now moved to the 18th of November. Mark your calendars. Uh, she's up for perhaps 20 years in prison and a fine of $250,000 plus restitution. And so they have also stayed uh, Sunny Balwani's um, sentencing he was convicted on his 12 fraud charges and he's scheduled to be sentenced on the 15th of November so come mid-November we may have an answer for you but we don't have it as yet because of the uh, appeals that are going on um, with Elizabeth Holmes fun fun the mistress of fraud right there yeah Um, Yeah. medical fraud have you uh, ever tracked the black turtleneck sales ever since elizabeth holmes really (laughs) became prominent because i'm telling you i've bought a lot of black turtlenecks you were purchasing black turtlenecks far before elizabeth holmes were you inspired was it an inspiring step forward for you (laughs) i was inspired to buy black black turtlenecks yeah it's a oh look it really is it's a look that grabs i can understand why people went down that path uh because of the black <sighs> turtleneck 
Let's get to the crime. Yeah. <laughs> what crime? <laughs> the crime is making us wait for In, the fireworks factory because we never quite got to the fireworks factory. I like this. I'm going to spoil my my ratings. I did like this very much, but the one thing they the heinous crime that they committed was waiting and waiting and waiting for us to get to the fireworks factory, and then we never quite got there. I agree. So in 1992, Cheryl Leach invented Barney the Purple Dinosaur to cater to her then two-year-old son, Patrick. The series premiered on PBS with Barney conveying educational messages in a friendly, huggable way. In 1992, Barney generated $500 million in retail sales. The series ran until 2010. A backlash against Barney's uh, relentless optimism and denial of negative emotions led to Barney bashing events, the I Hate Barney Secret Society, and the Jihad to Destroy Barney, the Purple Dinosaur, amongst others. Members of the Barney production team received hate mail and death threats. And in uh, 2013, Patrick Leach shot a neighbor over a trespassing dispute and pleaded no contest to assault with a deadly weapon. He was sentenced to 15 years, but the governor commuted his sentence and he was out in five years. So let's just break this down a little bit, okay? Like I said, what, what I just read, the crime itself, I guess, like question mark, which it is a crime, but the crime in question here is Patrick Leach shot his neighbor over a dis, uh, trespassing dispute. How what we've kind of alluded to was this was kind of the big thing that they that the documentary led to um, as the final act. And it kind of falls flat. But I would like us to kind of break this. Uh, it's a two part docu docu series. So um, two parts, about 50 odd minutes each very digestible but i like to break it down into the creation of barney the backlash against barney and then the aftermath of barney i think that's pretty well done what do you guys think uh kind of breaking it down like that yep sounds good yeah makes sense yeah sounds so too. <laughs> <laughs> before we get down to the nitty-gritty of that breakdown i will go around the horn and ask everybody what there are their big picture thoughts their their um opinions about the docuseries itself again i'll start with jess yeah so i definitely found it interesting but it felt a bit um like all spark no sizzle Mm -hmm. It felt like they were really grabbing at straws to try to lure people in with like the tantric sex guy mm -hmm. and the and Patrick's crimes and bringing mm -hmm. back his babysitter to be like, I didn't feel like I told you the whole truth of the matter. <laughs> like very, yeah. very dramatic for dramatics sake. I feel like it felt like it was trying to do too many things. Like it didn't exactly know what its message was. And so I kind of wish they had like taken one single route versus feeling like I was being tugged all over the place in many directions throughout the two episodes. Um, mm. So while I found it very interesting, it also felt a little bit like what exactly, what is the point that you're trying to make? Like, what is your, what is your thesis statement? You know? Yes. Good, good point. Sarah. Yeah, I think that Jess hit on a lot of the points that I had issue with. I thought that I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop, really. Like, what is the main uh -huh. problem? I do think that there's a lot of hype up for not a lot of crime. However, I do think that in terms of thesis statement, I think there's a couple of things. I think that it touches on 
um, how people it, it it's kind of like before it's time of uh, social media bashing and people mm-hmm. going after other people for for everything like we have like online bullying especially with like celebrities and mm-hmm. um twitter bashing i think that's a little yeah. bit for <laughs> that t- their time in terms of that in, in the 90s they sent physical letters there's a couple yeah. of things that i felt like i don't know like it was I do think that the documentary was making a bigger deal than I actually thought it was, but they had some really good points. Like there was a lot of anger and angst in the nineties. And it kind of, once again, reminded me of Woodstock 99 and your coverage of it where it's like, I got to be honest with you, those Gen Xers, though, when they were in college, they were really, really angry. And, um, and then they raged out. And then we haven't really heard from them that much since. So it's they're all of their strife seemed to be in the 90s. Man, don't mess with Would that. You look at that. Yeah. Yeah. SC, anything good to say? Well. I think there's a really good uh, documentary nestled inside this. It's sort of like a Tadakan of documentaries. (laughs) Just, I mean, one thing I noticed, uh, and I would have noticed it even if I wasn't taking notes, there are over 45 talking heads. This is a lot of people Mm. to talk to and to hear from. And not all of them have things to say that are germane. So Mm. I would have, I would have got rid of at least some of them. Mm. I, I feel that, the story of why it was created and then the backlash, that is the story and that was the interesting story. And the right. people who spoke to that had my uh, attention. If they hadn't kept teasing the Patrick thing, what happened to Patrick, the thing about Patrick, and that mm-hmm. had just been an addendum, a sad kind of flub addendum at the end with a tiny bit of sort of psychological well he had to he had you know a a younger sibling who was more famous than him or whatever it was I did not like the it was Cheryl's fault that the documentary seemed to come to it was the mother's fault uh, at the end so I would I I think that if they cut out that kind of trying to lure us back in after the next ad break uh, I I think it would have been more successful but having said that I I think it's a it's a good documentary Uh, just as you watch it don't expect um, you know the fireworks yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I thought it was a a really interesting and a really good documentary. I think they just placed the focus on the wrong aspect because I think really digging into what they, what they got right was explaining the 90s in a, in a way they explained what was going on in the 90s, why this backlash could have happened. They explained the backlash. They talked to three different um opposers of Barney. I think that would have been a really good portion to be the meat and potatoes and you could have ended it like right there and not even had that last like half of the of the second episode to be quite honest but because of the whole you know don't 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 what happened to Patrick what is Patrick gonna do what's gonna happen I'm like I I mean I thought this man was gonna be a serial killer because yeah, the way that yeah. they were like they hyped it up like hyping it up and it was just kind of like okay he's a loony with a gun who shot his neighbor like okay <laughs> like it was yeah you know that it was it it flopped at the end and then the funny thing is i also think that they kind of buried the lead with the family so cheryl leach was asked to participate in this documentary she did not 
I kind of wonder if they could have actually went deeper into her and her husband, Jim Leach, unfortunately, um, completed suicide. And they kind of like just brushed over that part. Yeah. You know, and then went straight on to like Patrick and Patrick. I don't know. It was weird. It was really weird. It felt like they were trying yeah. to make it seem like Barney, because Cheryl focused so much of her energy on Barney, then her son went wayward. But, you know, I would say that that's like any millennial latchkey kid. I think that a lot of our parents <laughs> were working. I had two working parents. There was times mm-hmm. where I was on my own after school or as an after school care kid. Like yeah. that's just kind of the mentality of work. So to say that, oh, my my parent was focused too much on work and building a fam like uh, an empire really mm-hmm. and that's what caused my grief it's a little like you know hyperbolic i think that's like yeah. putting yeah. a little yeah. too much and also, blame on barney yeah and mm-hmm. and patrick was not a latchkey kid because we're very firmly told that the roles were reversed and jim mm-hmm. stayed home and cheryl went to work so yeah. he had a parent at home it's it they really really wanted us they kept saying Oh, Barney is her son. Barney mm-hmm. is my child. Like a million times. And they really, really wanted us to think that like Patrick hated Barney. The reality is anything that keeps your parent away from you when you're working so much, you're going to hate. You're going to resent it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what type of job it is. If your parent is a doctor or a lawyer or any job where you're kept away from home for a while, it's I I found it like a bit ridiculous that they just kept pegging like it's Barney, it's Barney, because mm. this is Sharon's other son, Barney. Or Cheryl, mm-hmm. sorry, her other son Barney. Cheryl, but it really, uh-huh. it really just felt like, well, any kid would resent the job that their parent has that keeps them away. And yeah. he's and at this at a certain point, we get to a point where okay, his parents are getting divorced, which is difficult for a kid to go through. On top of the fact that he didn't want for anything at that point. His family uh-huh. is super rich. You know, this is yeah, she was just, making generational wealth for this family. Yeah. I mean, I think that the comparison, which was very lightly, again, lightly touched on and then not explored, with um Candace Bergen uh, and her mm-hmm. father have uh, you know had their very famous uh uh, ventriloquist dummy mm-hmm. that she had mm-hmm. to compete with. And I thought, well, can we hear Candace on that? The, the other comparison was uh, Christopher Robin Milne, who is yes. the son of A.M. Milne. Now, he is a very interesting character. That is a whole documentary in itself. And if you mm-hmm. uh, wanted to read about Christopher Milne, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. So, again, that was dotted into and then skittered off from. And I thought, well, if you're going to bring these people up, um, I mean, not that Candace is necessarily going to come on the, po- on the um, documentary, but let's let's examine that more rather than just saying, oh, it's like these other famous people who had famous siblings who weren't yeah. real people. I mean, with Christopher Robin, it was his actual name that got used. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and I don't, I don't know. I, I found it was a bit interesting that, like, we heard from a lot of the child actors on the show and mm-hmm. how their struggles after they left Barney and going back yeah. to like a public school setting and being made fun of as like the Barney kid, the Barney girl. And then they had said, oh, I never really thought about how Patrick felt. I don't know. In my mind, I kind of felt like not, not comparing them, but like mm-hmm. your face literally was on TV next to Barney. I feel like Patrick Leach can kind of like. I don't know. Can he hide a little bit more? It wasn't exactly his face on television. 
You know, I would have felt like the kids that were on the show would be ridiculed a lot more than someone who is just a child of the creator of the show, you know? Right. Yeah. Making fun of me that my mom invented Barney. Like I have like a billion dollars back. I have four boats. Come at me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Come at me, bro. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get into the beginning part, right? The creation of Barney. The the majority of the first episode is um, centered on this. Wow, I like I really like this part. As a mother of a toddler, a three and a half year old, I related to a lot of the stuff like Cheryl wanting to have that a show that her son can watch and she not have to worry about the content of the show. Uh, it really made me think about how lucky I am as a parent in this day and age that there are so many things targeted towards child learning and, and child growth and building. And it was very interesting to, to see that they didn't, that that wasn't easily accessible, like in the late eighties and stuff like that. And so Barney was like kind of the, you know, not the pioneer because Sesame Street, I mean, still going strong, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's just, nothing was as prevalent as we have now where I have, there's a whole four channels dedicated to just um, shows that my, I could put on and my son can watch and I feel fine without having to check over the shoulder and make sure it's appropriate for kids. So I really like them talking about the creation of Barney how Cheryl came up with the idea, the drawing, like, oh, is he a teddy bear? Is he a dinosaur? The, all the, the test audiences and then it going to VHS. I, I found it, I found it very like inspiring, you know, because for people, when you can't find what you're, when you can't find what you're looking for and to actually like go out there and make it. And then it, it really did come off uh, like she wanted to help people as well. Like she did come off very genuine in, in this. I, we did, she wasn't there again. It was just archival footage of her that the documentary was presenting, but she really did seem to care about her child and other people's children. So I, I, I love that the good intentions fake within Barney seem to be genuine uh, let me go to sarah sarah what did you think about um any thoughts on the just the creation of barney i thought it was really interesting as well especially coming from a childhood where i consumed probably more barney than any of these other kids shows like sesame street or mm-hmm. lamb chop or Same. any of these things i was a big barney fan and i think that i'm always interested in the origin stories and i think that cheryl definitely was an interesting person to follow on this journey and i think that that's why i feel kind of aggravated at the assumptions or the accusations that she didn't give um her son everything that she could have because Mm -hmm. she seemed like nobody had anything bad to say about Cheryl. Like she seemed like a, like I was expecting that she was corrupt from how um, this documentary was like propping her up, but she was not, she was a sweet lady. She's still around today. I hope that Mm -hmm. she's at peace and living her best Barney life on that Barney money. (laughs) Um, And I, I loved the creation of it. I liked the test audiences. I liked the behind the scenes on hiring somebody like finding somebody that has the right voice but not the right height because the costume was already created at that point I thought that was really interesting I liked the fact that they had mothers going around 
door to door trying to sell the Barney VHS tapes because that's how they didn't have a marketing budget. It was really just like a small little production company based out of Texas. So Uh I really liked the beginning of the documentary as well because it really comes from humble beginnings. Uh Jess, uh, avid Barney uh, person yourself, what did you think? Yeah, I agree with Sarah. I think this was probably my favorite part of the documentary mm-hmm. documentary was the beginning, was the making of. And um I thought it was so fascinating that like it would the one of the women on the show, it was like, "Oh, uh I I called her up and I said, "Hey, I I want to make Barney as like a birthday party thing. Like, let's do this. I want to make him bigger." And she's like, "Hey, you know what? You VP of marketing. Boom." <laughs> like <laughs> it was really fun. I thought it was very interesting and to see kind of how she thought out Barney's creation and why he turned into a dinosaur, not mm-hmm. a teddy bear, but oh, he can't be a scary dinosaur. This is for children and and kind of the the terrifying children's movie that like inspired it <laughs> horrifying i hope i never have to see that on my television again um yeah it's very scary yeah i just but that i really enjoyed because i thought that the it was almost like a making of um movie and mm-hmm. i i really thought that it was interesting as someone who was obsessed with barney when i was a little kid right the counting and the mm-hmm. singing and the everything right kids love repetition and this yes. is why parents hate children's films and shows Mm -hmm. because they repeat themselves constantly and not only that children want to watch them 20 times in a row and i just thought it was fascinating getting the inside scoop on on all of that and especially um hearing hearing the voice um bob west who originally voiced barney him doing the voice was really like time traveling um and i i love just meeting the people behind the scenes like the person who did all the music um and he's playing the song on the piano and they ask him what it feels like to play it on the piano and he says feels like death (laughs) (laughs) i just i don't know something like it it was really fascinating them bringing in like uh, so many people obviously not the big names in cheryl leach but so many of these people that like you could tell that was their world for a long time, that Barney meant mm-hmm. a lot to them being on the set. And it really did. Like Sarah was saying, none of them really had a bad word to say about Cheryl. All of them really felt like they valued their time. This wasn't like a behind the scenes. We are right. exposing everything. Yes, and exactly. It was very wholesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that part. SC. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the, the casting and, and meeting the cast and uh, seeing that, that that man was forbidden from talking about uh, tantric sex or yes. practicing it while he was Barney. Uh, and he ends up crying in his garage because he just loves Barney so much. Uh, he was a very interesting fellow. I, I, I felt... Too much. There was too much of it. Like you don't have to talk to everybody. You, you literally don't have to talk to everybody just because you've filmed them. And there were people that we went back and back to, the uh, musical director in particular, who really didn't have anything to add after the first time that he spoke. So I thought, mm, mm. we don't need to hear from him yet again. Uh, and then there were other people that we just, again, saw briefly. And I thought, well, what oh, what was that? You were brought in to be Riff because Riff had to have an urban feel. Okay, well, what's that? Like uh, two so seconds. Yeah. two seconds, mm-hmm. two seconds mm-hmm. on her. 
I think the the death that that the musical director was referring to was that piano was not in tune. Yeah. <laughs> I think he says death oh. on this piano. But mm-hmm. uh, yes, no, oh, was I, that I, tricky I, editing? He was like, no, oh, no. it sounds like death. He said because, death on this piano. He said it feels like piano, death on this piano. It sounds piano. so yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's, oh, it's death because the song it's, it's, Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, no, I think he loves the, the songs. One thing that I thought, well, I certainly clocked that the documentary was certainly backing and saying was, oh, Cheryl, well, she never really wanted to be, you know, a big executive woman. Oh, she never really wanted to be this big businesswoman. Oh, she never really, it's like she's allowed to have ambition. She's right. allowed to make $500 million in, in retail in the first year, mm-hmm. you know, once PBS picked it up. Obviously, she's not getting the $500 million, but, I mean, she'd have a part of the um, of the retail uh, money. And I thought, why are you continually banging this gong about why why you wouldn't say that about a man sorry you wouldn't say it about a man he didn't really want to be the head of uh, a huge uh, organization that was incredibly successful and made made lots of money he just Mm -hmm. wanted to do it for his kid it's like why why can't she be I, I kind of get what they were trying to say again it was about how beloved she was and how kind she was but you know CEOs can be kind Mm-hmm. All the CEOs out there, so this is a public service announcement. <laughs> it's a reminder. You can be, you can be kind. Um, mm-hmm. But she, she has to have been a, also had a tough business brain because there was a little bit of folksy, oh, well, I just rang her and said I was going to have parties and then I ended up head of marketing. But that doesn't just happen to somebody who doesn't have that drive and that ambition and that brain. I think that woman who... I can't even find her name in my list of 45. Which one? Uh, the one who was the local mom. who became The VP the of marketing. Of, VP of marketing. Oh, um, yeah. But she also uh, was. Sloan obvi- Coleman, I think. That's uh, right. That's, that is her name. Uh, she and Cheryl obviously clicked. I think they were both super smart or, or had the smarts, however you want to put it, to bring this empire uh, into being. So I personally resented this gong of oh but she didn't really you know that wasn't her goal okay it Mm -hmm. wasn't her goal but she certainly she certainly had that and I have to say I am not surprised she didn't talk on this documentary and in a way I sort of I mean it would have been interesting but you can also make the documentary you want to make if you don't have the involvement of one of the major players so that might have been an advantage for them. I keep coming back in in my head to what Jess said, like, this is not a behind the scenes. This is what really happened, you know, behind the scenes type of thing, which I think kind of that's what I kind of thought it was going to be when I was marketing. This is kind of almost like dispelling all of the rumors of the behind the scenes stuff. Right. Am I right here? So I see talked about David Joyner. He was the not the original body, body of Barney because there was there was an original body of Barney, a uh, dude named Voss. Last name was Voss. Voss, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was he was only the body of Barney for two years, basically when they were still in their like tape deck era, when it was just like the original movies when Barney was kind of blue more than purple. And he was the body, but then he got called off. He had a calling to go to war. So they found David Joyner. 
who, when we're introduced to him, it's on a cliffhanger where there's like, where he comes in, he sits down, it's all dramatic. And they're like, people keep asking, are we going to talk to David? Are we going to talk to David? And, you know, it's, it, they make it so over dramatic. I'm like, did this man do something? And that's, it's like, no, he didn't. They really, <laughs> really wanted to hammer home. This was one of the moments where I really felt like they were trying to, make this documentary into something that it wasn't Mm -hmm. where they're like oh look we have a tantric sex worker (gasps) he worked on a children's show like Mm -hmm. ooh, and like they made it into such a big deal when realistically it's not like this guy so what so what he does that they even had it felt like so over the top with the clip of him in the car where he's like do (laughs) i have sex with my clients not always <laughs> like they it really felt like they were trying also, to push Jess, that. it's very important to know that they pay for the massages they pay for the breathing work they pay for the healing they don't pay for the sex if that comes afterwards well so be it yeah it's a bonus sweetie they are <laughs> like, paying for the sex it's like you're a sex worker it's fine you're very a sex worker we're very, exactly we're very pro it, it on this on this channel exactly yeah. exactly so yeah it was just a bit too much of the like again the over the topness that didn't where I think that totally conflicts with the very, very end messaging. It was like Mm -hmm. they had blips of messaging throughout this documentary. Yeah. And I I really think it was like a subversive type of thing. It's like, we're building up to what you think it is because when when they get to the point of like the rumors about Barney, I remembered hearing the rumors about Barney, you know what I'm saying? And one of the rumors was the body of Barney. Was he a pedophile? Was he touching on the kids? Uh, An article came out later after he was no longer Barney that he was a tantric energy healer. Um, But he, he tells us in this documentary, they made him sign a contract because he was working on with tantric before he signed, he was Barney. They made him sign a contract saying while he's Barney he cannot uh, continue his studies as a tantric killer he can't talk about it he said fine he he was fine with it and it was cool and he said he said to seem to have had a connection with a lot of the kids and stuff like that but nothing ever happened everybody's like is immediately like this was a family we all got along we were together so much that we really didn't have any other friends so if that's the real messaging and the real messaging is like hey he was just a any other guy and who just happened to go off and be a tantric sex healer, energy healer, or sex worker, whatever you want to call it later down the road, then just give it that kind of casualness. Let's not try and like build it up because they would have the other talking heads go around like, Oh, David. Yeah. Like, yeah. Then they were trying to say what he did. They were like, Tantra, Tantra. I don't know what it is. It was. Yeah. Kind of, I'm not into that, that sort of stuff. I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. And, no, she didn't know say, anything about it. Exactly. They're like, I have no idea what that is. But I did love how all of them would say, but he was a great Barney. He was great to the kids. Yeah, he was a great physical Barney. And like, I did love how they did give David Joyner credit for the physicality of that Mm -hmm. job he had and how heavy the costume was. And he's we literally see the footage of him jumping and flipping Mm -hmm. and like doing all this stuff. Oh, the 360. Yes. Was that impressive to you that he flipped a 360 i thought he was gonna fall by the way they were hyping it up i thought he was yeah. gonna fall on stage again so no. many times where this it felt like the editing was leaning in a very specific direction but yeah i i thought it was like at the end of the day i was happy they gave the guy the credit instead of just being like oh look at this we have a tantric sex worker on our show like this is a little bit too much where i'm like who cares 
skip to the good part. I he, like <laughs> he's not doing anything wrong. No, right. I mean that we do speak to um, a number of the of the children now adults who are on the show, and one of them very frankly tells us that she had been sexually abused as a child, and then she Hope. went onto the show Hope, and she mm-hmm. put a great name, and she found you know love and a family, and she was very safe. So when the rumors came out that the the body of Barney was a pedophile. She in particular was very hurt by those because she says, I I went through sexual abuse and I'm here to tell you that that was not what was happening uh, on the set and I give her a lot of credence there. Yes, shout out to her. She played Tasha on Barney. Um, so let's kind of move into the second section here unless anybody has anything else they want to say about the creation of Barney. One quick shout out in terms of like the actual show itself i really love that they highlighted the diversity on the show yeah um, because uh-huh. just looking at the casting of the children especially uh i believe her name was pia hamilton who played min yeah talked uh-huh. about being able to talk about her being filipino and they it, on the show like that was a storyline on the show and we are talking about a late 80s early 90s show yeah, like this is this is Great. not something that you would see back in that time. Sarah and I talk about it a lot on our podcast, the lack of diversity on the shows we cover and how frustrating it is. The show was doing it. And so like, if you want to give Barney crap, like whatever, by all means, they have annoying songs. They had diverse children on this show telling their stories. And I really, really appreciated that those, that those specifically were the people that they brought on to talk about it um, in the documentary. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. moved to this day that she was able to sing Happy Birthday in Tagalog. Oh, I loved mm-hmm. that. You know, she teared up now talking about doing it. So you think, wow, how how kind of extraordinary that was in a very ordinary setting of this children's show. Yeah, it's important, yeah. of course, to for every child back in the day to watch that show and see somebody that represents them. So that's that that is like a really special part of it and once again early 90s also a um a production that comes out from like a small town in texas like (laughs) overall very impressive to be honest yes i i completely agree so let's move on to the backlash of barney this this part of the um at least the first episode uh, is where we're getting more of the background of the 90s, like we kind of discussed. Like they were talking about Gen Xers. We're talking about how basically in the 90s, it was about blood-soaked irony and how, you know, not caring was the new cool. They they highlight the, gr- the grunge uh, movement and stuff like that. And how Barney's like unstoppable, like, optimism is what really fueled like some of the hate against it because it didn't feel real and you know we 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 talked about repetition because like with kids shows repetition um but the just the overall happiness made uh made other people jaded i guess in a in a sense you can say and we we talked to three different men here um (laughs) uh Let's Go start off, Mary. Off, <laughs> right? So let's start off with um, the first guy. It was he was jealous when his daughter didn't come and greet him at the door. Yeah, yes. Robert Curran is the founder of I Hate Barney Secret Society. Society. Yes, and this dude, when he came on my screen, I was like, "Huh?" Robert Curran talks about his his daughter was a Barney kid. She was two years old. She was so 
involved in Barney that when he didn't get the response from her that he thought that he should, he created the I Hate Barney Secret Society where parents could voice their frustration about their households being held hostage by a purple dinosaur. Again, I am a mother. My son actually knows the Barney cleanup song because that's how I taught him how to clean up. He's never, <laughs> seen, he's never seen Barney a day in his life, but he knows that song because it effectively it makes him clean up his toys, you know? And I watch the same Minions movie, Despicable Me, Blue's Clues. I watch the same thing every day sometimes in the, in the morning time. Do I want to pay 50 cents to, to somebody so I can like, bash and hate on it no because they're kids this is for kids like this is for kids yo like this is not to appeal to you mr man (laughs) this was not made for your consumption it's made for the consumption of two-year-olds so if you are really that concerned about your child um taking up like absorbing too much of it turn it off Like, like that is your right to control your household but you should not control other households because he was it, like, it seemed like he was trying to get Barney off the air. But the kind of funny thing about him in particular, he's not even the one that I hate the most. The The funny thing about him in particular, it almost felt like it was sar- like sarcastic at, at, at in the beginning. Like it was kind of like, oh, yeah, us parents united in grief. Oh, my gosh, we hate when our kids like this show. And that I can kind of get down with, you know, yeah. if you're like, oh, man, I hate watching Minions for the yeah, 20th he called thousand it, time. He called it a support group, which yes. like, yeah, I could understand. Yeah. Like, don't you hate when your kid watches the same show over and over again? Me, too. But it it got so much deeper and weirder than that. Mm-hmm. Where it's it like darker. your kid is like two or three. Of course, she's going to be distracted by something when you come home. Are you that like <laughs> insecure that it yeah. bothers you yes. that much that you're yes. a child? He was that like, insecure. It's like he was that insecure. She's a mm-hmm. kid. You know, it's not, it's not unusual problems. for for very small children. If a parent's been away, he talks about being away on a trip. Mm-hmm. Comes back, she may be shy. She may, or she may be just so into Barney that she didn't notice you were in the room. The, the damaging thing for, from him that I find very telling is he frames it as an addiction. And yeah. there was in part of the one of the newsletters was, you know, uh, the signs of the addiction, your child protects mm. its supply by hovering around the television and the VCR player. This is incredible darkness to put onto a child and r- Almost right at the end of the uh, doc- the second part of the documentary, we find out that unfortunately he he suffers from addiction disorder and he himself is an alcoholic now sober for for many years. And I thought, talk about projection exactly. onto this yeah. little child. I, I found it, and he wasn't challenged in any way by the by the documentary makers. I found him very disturbing. Yeah, talk about um, like the psychological. Uh, implications or whatever it's it's interesting because like one of the things that they explained was the repetition is comforting to children so the songs over and over and over again you know it's not necessarily comforting for children is when their parents unfortunately have to travel for work and you don't (laughs) know day to day where they're going to be and i don't blame that because we're all trying to make a living here right however it's just in a way I can see his child rather be in front of the TV because that's safe and she knows what to expect from Barney 
but mm-hmm. she doesn't necessarily know when her dad's coming home or where her dad's going to be. Like it sucks, but like, this is like the psychology of children. It's like, that's what they are ground or they, that they, they, they want stability. Kids just want stability. So uh, yeah. I'll tell you how to make your child jump up and run to you when you've been away on a, on a business trip. My father was a Marine biologist and he used to go on field trips. He'd be away for, you know, a week or two weeks or however it would be. Come home with a present. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love presents. Yeah, yeah right. He, he would Where's always, my souvenir? Yeah. We always got yeah. a little present when he came home. Well, we'll but running. then that's also developed my shopping addiction. Sadly. Well, so, <laughs> yeah. so it's all like given a take, isn't it? Because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it material was things equal love. So he came, he came home with um, sideburns once. Uh, I did not like those. Yeah, that's, that's, that would be scary. It's frightening because he had yeah. facial hair. Yeah. yeah. I do like, I, th- I do think that it was very tongue in cheek at first. Like, I think like yes, what was it called first. like something mm-hmm. something secret society love secret societies that was very i was like that's such a funny name and then yeah it quickly turns because you get the wrong people into this thing it's supposed to be a support yep. group for um parents, parents. and then next mm-hmm. thing you know you get all these like really angry college kids in there that are trying to smash barney pinatas and eat the eyes off of stuffed animals <laughs> yeah comic Good point. I think I think Robert Curran, the father who started the I Hate Barney Secret Society, I think once he he says he realized that he become he became like a voice or a face to this, and he started getting calls for the to be on the talk shows. I think that's when it really turned when he saw he could get like popular from it. But but yes, Sarah, let's talk about Travis Fox, who at the University of Nebraska threw a Barney bashing event and invited like the newspaper and and news crews there to show it like this. Like when I tell you my anger level was like, oh, it's up another octave. Travis Fox, sir, college student, sir, why do you care about Barney as a college student? It is not for you. It is not for you, sir. I don't understand how they can't avoid it. It's not like you have a child just watching the show. They get a hobby. Get a hobby is what it I have is. To it's say. eating eyes off of stuffed animals. That's their freaking hobby. Like, it's, crazy. it's not even satisfying to take an axe to a stuffed animal. Like take an axe to something that's going to shatter. You know what I mean? Like oh, go dear. to one of those things where they have all those breakable items. Yeah. And you put on goggles and gloves I don't know and if everything. We had that back then. And, that was just an alley. You just went to alley. Go to an alley. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like I'm just saying that chopping a stuffed animal can't be satisfying because it. You saw how many times did we see that clip of them chopping that stuffed animal and it just bouncing all bouncing over the off. place? Yep. <laughs> Come yep. on, they're talking about their ire, putting all their frustration into the Barney and and purple and gold, and it's interspersed with um, videos of people like decapitating Barney dolls and pulling stuffing out, shooting, shooting them in them. the head. As they hang from a tree, I mm-hmm. don't know if we wow. need to see that. The the misplaced toxic masculinity, what toxic masculinity of it all, the white male fragility of it all, and I I was at least glad that there was this one random dude at the university that where they were like, "Why do you hate Barney so much?" He's like, "I don't. I'm just here to hit things." <laughs> at least you're being truthful. <laughs> at least you're being yeah. truthful. Uh, I, I, I guess that is the only thing I can I can really say about that. But I don't know. I what is the what is the fascination to center yourself in this debate about a purple dinosaur that 
is not geared towards you? Why do you feel like you have like it has to be geared towards you? That's the everything's about them, Murray. Murray, mm. everything's about them. Yeah, mm. and the pista resistance, the uh, <laughs> the starter of the uh, jihad against oh. Barney, uh, Sean Breen. This is where uh, I think we talked about it in a little bit at the beginning, but where social media, the the origins of social media kind of clashed here with with Barney, the beginning of social media. And Sean talks about it. He talks about how it was one of the first like blog posts or the first websites. It was called the Jihad Against Barney. And basically it was just a website where Sean and his friends, like all these online gamer subversive people would would talk trash about Barney Wright stories about a demon dinosaur. Like it was just, and he just looks the, uh, uh, oh my God. They, Let me not. Let me hold back. Here. They left in the part about him getting a spam call and pulling his phone out and being like, if you spammers, and then putting it back in his pocket. <laughs> and they left in the part where he's like, I know I'm an a hole. Yeah, I'm an a hole. Like, they really wanted this guy to be the worst person ever. And, like, to a certain extent, he is. But let's call it like we see. I'm not call it like I see it. The The name is absolutely atrocious. What this yeah. is, this is a role. This is an online role-playing game. This is like Dungeons and Dragons. If you made yeah. Barney, you're big bad. Like, that's what this is. And they took Barney, this, like, lovable little dinosaur, and they returned him to the form of just a dinosaur. And my question is, why not just fight a dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> the dinosaur can still be named Barney if you need it to, to be. It was just ridiculous. It was they, absolutely ridiculous. They modified computer games where they could shoot Barney, it looked like. At least that's the clips they were sh- showing us. Like, it was just really like. That was so alive. cool. That was so rebellious. That was so out there. It was still on the edge. Please, please. I think he needed that cane, but it was a very stylish cane. Uh, Yeah, but the the struggle to get the phone out of the uh, pocket, I think the documentary makers were wetting themselves when they saw that. (laughs) That's going in. And with him, we we got like the rise. Like this is this is where it's the crescendo of like Barney bashing, where you have the Barney bashing parties. You have um, they showed a clip of the Animaniacs with a faux Barney in that. I love that. I I love the Animaniacs Mm -hmm. uh, as a teen growing up, too. But then you have uh, news stories of like people in Barney suits being assaulted by groups of teenagers um, and and we got the the chicken. Uh, who wants this? Is Ted Giannoulis, the famous chicken. Yes, San Diego see, chicken. Yeah, see, break down the, the San Diego chicken for us. Well, I I had never seen this chicken. I I sort of kind of liked it. Pro <laughs> 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 the chicken. I sort of like the chicken. Look, I think that uh, Ted knows exactly what he's for. He is interviewed uh-huh. in the full costume, which I admired. Thought, yeah, hide your coward. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, <laughs> what well, he was an entertain. He made an enormous amount of money over many years being an entertainer. Great, uh, and he had dance offs with somebody dressed in a Barney suit, and then jumped on Barney and threw him over a rail. And For apparently, this years. is the high point of his life uh, but mm-hmm. he was sued he was sued by the barney corporation and he won 
because parity is protected. So legally I was, I mean, I'm sorry that, that the Barney Corporation lost money suing him because they had to pay his costs, but um, parity is protected. Whatever you think of that content, uh, uh, parity is protected. Even- uh, look, he's all kinds of wrong, but why did I like him, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you liked his hair. He was a cute chicken, I suppose. But I, I can you um maybe you can explain. So parody is protected. However, I felt like they're using the likeness of Barney, and how is that not okay? Protected? That's what I thought, Sarah. Well, you know what it was, Sarah, is that Barney's the the costume of that Barney was so jacked up that his face looked like Cookie Monster, and they were like, "This guy doesn't even look like Barney. It's just that he's a purple dinosaur, and that's good enough." Yeah, I, it's all just it's all parody is protected, which is why like SNL can like do what it does, right? Like we wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to have SNL if if it wasn't. And they also said like that the lawyers. It seemed like the Barney lawyers weren't like necessarily that great. Like the one guy called them feckless. <laughs> yeah. And so they weren't necessarily willing. I, I kind of, I'm not going to lie. It, it did cross my mind of like, does she just go out and find random people on the street and be like, you want to be our lawyer? Hired. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I thought the chicken part was interesting, but again, if I was cutting things out of this documentary, yeah, I felt get like the rid chicken of the thing to go. Get rid yep. of the entire section. Don't need it. I said it. I said we don't need this segment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Barney goes through the backlash. Again, we we get those rumors. Like I, I like at one point they go through the list of rumors, like, oh, Barney had cocaine in his tail. <laughs> you know, that wasn't true. He wouldn't be able to reach it. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> what sense does that make? You talked about like the molesting of the kids. That wasn't right. Like it was very interesting. I thought that this documentary actually cleared up a lot of the misconceptions of right. Barney. Yeah. I liked about it. I, I truly like that aspect of the show. Um, but they cleared up the aspects, but tried to make you think they weren't. <laughs> they tried to uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's like my main issue, my main takeaway. It's that they're trying to make something uh, from nothing. And I think I would have appreciated it more if they didn't try to exploit some of these things and instead just did a uh, a history of mm-hmm. it. And then, then yeah. they probably couldn't have gotten Cheryl in. Like why, um, when we get to the second part, uh, the entire section of her son it mm-hmm. just wasn't the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. So mm-hmm. I would have rather given that up and maybe given up the chicken. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, no, no, uh, I mean, just narratively, I think definitely yeah. get rid of the mm-hmm. entire chicken. In, in lieu of that, get Cheryl Leach in here and tell her like a woman's perspective, a business woman's perspective of building an empire. Yeah. That is more interesting to me um, than having these like fake uh, fake dramas that yeah. they're creating, but then they can't have the clickbait title of "I love you, you hate me," right? Like they, mm-hmm. a lot of it felt very clickbait. You no, know, because where- you can still keep in all the Barney backlash and mm-hmm. the secret society of hating Barney, and yeah. have Cheryl be like, "Yeah, that was really tough on me and my family, and it ultimately caused a divorce and all this stuff." Like, make the make the enemy. The people that are like bashing Barney and not the people that built Barney that are not guilty of anything. They acted like Cheryl had these skeletons in her closet Mm -hmm. and that 
her son maybe wouldn't, and maybe he wouldn't have, right? Like maybe he wouldn't have committed a crime if not for Barney. We don't know because that's not the reality we're living in, but mm-hmm. like they really made it like, uh, what was it called? It's like causa- the causation, like the cause of him mm-hmm. doing that was a result of him being raised by Cheryl who created Barney and her not, who knows, not spending enough time with him, whatever. It all, it all very, felt very like circumstantial and you couldn't necessarily draw a line from A to B. Exactly. Um, yep. And yeah, and this is a good uh, a place to end with our aftermath of Barney. I think that I, I think they they really just rush after like you know after David leaves as the original Barney after it kind of I think it got sold or something. Uh, Cheryl leaves in like twenty like two thousand or nineteen ninety eight something like that. They kind of just yada yada you know Barney falls out we get the riff comparison we get the kids the biggest thing to me that I think they definitely could have spent time on that we said like the child actors talking about how they got bullied and they got bullied so much for Barney that they said their best moments of their life was working on Barney I was like that's so messed up um you know one of the young kids uh he ended up like in gang like doing gang stuff Mm -hmm. like it was like that was sad too I would have I wouldn't have mind a little bit more about how it affected people later on um, down the road but drawing this comparison to Patrick committing he committed a crime like we're not saying that Patrick didn't commit a crime we're not saying like oh that's the only crime you committed but it just felt like they they literally built it up to make it feel like I truly thought he was gonna I thought he was gonna kill his mom at one point I thought he was gonna kill Cheryl I thought he was gonna kill multiple people I thought he was gonna be a serial killer out in California it was uh like a dispute where he shot somebody which wasn't cool not cool but it's not what I thought was gonna happen over (laughs) trespassing basically He was watching his Nest camera and saw his neighbor on his property. Then he went, goes over to his neighbor's property and then says, you're trespassing on my property. And his neighbor is like, you're trespassing on my property. And Mm -hmm. this ensues in a the shooting, which Mm -hmm. he did not kill this man or his neighbor. He shot his shoulder. So although he was injured, he. Uh, did not kill his neighbor, but he still got put away to jail for attempted murder. Sorry to correct you, Sarah, but uh, attempted murder is uh, a life of imprisonment is your sentence if you get it. He was actually, there must have been some uh, some of that Barney money uh, paying for some good lawyering because mm-hmm. he eventually was charged with assault with a deadly weapon mm-hmm. and he pleaded yeah. no contest to that and that's why he got the 15 years. But, I mean, uh, Truly, was it attempted murder? Because was he trying to murder him or was he just shooting him? Because that's, that's what people do when yeah, they Yeah, that's get angry. the weird thing was like they spent almost no time on the fact that he was wearing a bulletproof vest and had like mm. multiple guns in the car. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but are we going to stop down on this? Like, why did he yeah. have a bulletproof vest? Like, I, it, it very much seemed like yeah. they didn't know, so they didn't want to spend a lot of time on it because they couldn't interview him. You know, I assume they couldn't interview his family. You know, like, they didn't really know why. Like an interview the babysitter things. who said two months oh, later, God. oh, I'm, I haven't been honest with you, and then never says anything. Right. I was so angry at this woman. I was like, you promised me tea and you didn't deliver. <laughs> stone cold. The tea was stone cold and did not get poured. Oh, exactly. Yes. Exactly. No. Yes. Yes. <sighs> All right. I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, 
Great, great uh, discussion about I love you, you hate me. So let's get into our ratings. Uh, Justin, Sarah, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate I love you, you hate me out of a possible five? We'll start with you, Jess. So I'm going to give this a solid 2.5. Now it seems low. It may seem high. I don't really know, depending on where you're coming from, right? I feel Mm -hmm. like it was a really interesting documentary. If you watched Barney as a child, it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, it felt like it was trying to sensationalize certain aspects rather than just tell an interesting story. I felt like they felt like, oh, we need to include the shooting and we need to pretend like it's because of Barney. And don't forget the tantric sex guy. Like they really (laughs) felt like they were pulling at straws when I wish they would have just stuck to one story. One of my favorite aspects of the whole documentary was when they interviewed other stars of other children's shows. So I'm look, I especially for for me, Steve Burns, who was the original host of Blue's Clues, stood out. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hear him speak more. And I know he has nothing to do with Barney, but he had a lot of like very interesting things to say about children's television um, Mm -hmm. and being a star on children's television. And uh, I really liked that aspect of it. And if they had just stuck with that and done like Sarah was saying in behind the scenes of Barney, the making of Barney, I feel like it would have been a bit better than trying to make us think that there's going to be this massive thing at the end that we're building up to all to just be kind of like, like let down. Uh, So it, it lost points for me there, especially with the like, them doing the I love you and they bring it up like four different screens of Barney doing that to make it seem like he's this like serial killer Barney dinosaur <laughs> I was like come on it's a kid's show <laughs> um, yeah two and a half from me Sarah how about you so the name of the documentary phenomenal I love you mm-hmm. you hate me beautiful stunning mm-hmm. talent love that um, we, we got we pulled Bill Nye the science guy what can be yep. better than that um, my main issues are everything that I've ever listed in the last hour but also mm-hmm. they couldn't get Selena Gomez who starred in Barney and Friends to come on oh, and I, I am know. a huge fan of Selena Gomez and why was she not available to talk about her experience on Barney very upset about that so then therefore I will give it a uh, 2.75. Are we allowed to do 75? <laughs> yes, do whatever you want. Yeah. Love that for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's where I'm going right here. Okay, SC, how about you? Well, look, we have complained for an hour, but I, I think it is a well-made uh, documentary. I appreciated it very much. Uh, I would ding it for just too many talking heads. They're all good. Pick some of them. Don't do a build-up to the fireworks factory that's never coming. Uh-huh. Uh, I think we've all said it, like more diving into the the aftermath for the, ch- for the children. You can still call it, you know, I love you, you hate me. You can still look at the rise of internet hate. I thought that was very interesting. They had a very brief discussion with someone who's an expert in that. Why do we have her for one minute? Let's get her for 10 minutes, not one or none. I'm going to give it three because yeah. I think it's well made. I just kept feeling there's a really good documentary inside the documentary that we're watching. So, but, uh, you know, in the end, if I had to say, look, would I recommend that you watch it? Yeah, watch it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, I knew about Barney just generally, but I, none of my friends had children who watched Barney. Uh, I certainly didn't. Everybody as a child, 
we didn't have a television, just to let you know. And that was not uncommon. I wasn't deprived. It was the 1960s. It was not uncommon. But I definitely think go and see it. It's got some really interesting stuff in there. And if nothing else, you can get your rage on a couple of times with uh, some of these uh, people. So a three for me. How about you, Murray? I really liked it. I actually really enjoyed it. Several things. It was a two-part documentary. Very easy to digest. You know, I love that. I love those. I found so many aspects of it so interesting from the creation of Barney to the, I love the backstory of like the 90s. I got like a 90s history lesson here that I didn't really realize I was going to get. Steve from Blue's Clues giving that amazing monologue at the end, closing it out, talking about like, why does, like, why does, uh, optimistic happiness like make people angry um like uh, sarah pointed out that the anti-hate woman on there my god she was so good and talking about how the correlation between hate groups and and the correlation of like hating barney and manifesting hating barney and making your hatred your own your full personality and how it's akin to a lot of the 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 right-wing movements and Nazi movements and stuff that we're seeing today was so interesting. She was a former uh, like Nazi member, like a Nazi young Nazi neo-Nazi parties. And she was actually who I wish they had um, put in the the web of make-believe that we uh, covered yes, Sarah. I thought of that too. Yes. So much. She's such a really, really good anti anti-hate activist. And she gave some, um, some uh, websites uh, and, and materials to check out. So I, I, I really love, love this, uh, this docu-series. I was coming into it, giving it a four. You guys have actually oh, we're grumps. made some oh. points. Oh, no. And so oh, no. I'm going to give it a 3.5. No, I'm going to give it a 3.5 because I, I really do suggest people watch it because I, I really, mm-hmm. the nostalgia of it all really had me going. And I think that's our main complaint here that if it was just a behind the scenes documentary and not a true crime documentary, yes, it wouldn't have made it on here, but it probably would have been a better property. Like get rid of yeah. the Patrick stuff altogether. And I think you have a perfectly sound documentary. And, yeah. but the thing is, it's not a true crime documentary. And right. I'm wondering if that's what they, they did. That was the whole, they want yeah. the money for the true. Yeah. They want the viewers yeah. that a true crime documentary is going to get. But I think mm-hmm. they had like even like uh like as he was saying earlier, the actual creation and the final product was really well done, even mm-hmm. to the point where like the, the small things like the very beginning looked like a VHS tape, like the way <laughs> yes. they did it. <laughs> I was me. in my glory. I was like, oh, my gosh, this <laughs> brings me back. I yes. loved those touches. I feel like anybody who grew up in this era would love that. And I just felt like they were trying to get it almost was like they were instead of sticking with the one audience that they could have gotten, which was children of the 90s and people who had kids in the 90s. Mm -hmm. You could kind of bring in all those viewers. They were trying to broad brush and get way more viewers that are true crime enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of felt like it was just too much. Like I said, like Essie was saying. There was a, a documentary within the documentary that would have been so much better, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that anti-hate activist, her name is Shannon Foley-Martinez. If you wanted to look into her and her work, she is a very interesting woman. Yes, I, I love that. So let's move on to our recommendations. Uh, Jess, I hear you have a recommendation for us. 
Yes. So speaking, we could talk like a little bit lighthearted stuff. I went on a mm-hmm. vacation recently and I, I brought a physical book. Can you believe it? Woo! In this day and age, I brought a physical book with me. I knew I was going to have internet. I thought I may want to lay out and read a book. I started the book. I finished the book on vacation. Um, it is uh, the beginning of a series. So it's called Just One Damn Thing After Another. It's by Jody Taylor. Um, it's from the Chronicles of St. Mary's series. If you like time travel, if you like dinosaurs, if you like a little bit of mystery and intrigue, I also, if you're a history buff, I think you'd like this book. Ooh. Basically, it is, but it's very light. It's a light read. It's not heavy at all. Um, There are serious moments, but it's really more like, basically, there's this institution who has figured out how to time travel. And the reason they're doing it is they are historians. And so they are going back in time to specific moments and making sure that these moments are have represented historically like uh, accurately in the history books by actually physically being there um and of course they're going to get into a whole bunch of shenanigans because they're going back in time um it is a really fun book i really want to read more of them i've only read the first one but very quick easy breezy i would definitely call it like a vacation or a beach read if you will because it doesn't take a whole lot of effort and i zoomed through the first book so just one damn thing after another Nice. Uh, what about you, SC? I know you have a recommendation. Yeah, so this uh, recommendation came from Brian Furcus, who's the artist behind Trixie Mattel. Ooh. And he oh. recommended a crime novel called The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Um, and I'm sure our listeners know what a final girl is, but just in case you don't, uh, the final girl is the last girl left at the end of the horror film who generally kills or uh, incapacitates the monster. And so Grady thought to themselves, what happens to them afterwards? So it's a support group, a group of final girls, and uh, their monsters come back for them. It oh. is a very, it's a light read. The body count is extremely high, uh, but nothing too graphic or gruesome. It hits all the tropes of every horror movie you've ever watched our, our main character has has uh, the home invasion uh, somebody has the boyfriend that turns somebody's at the overnight camp somebody's at the valentine's day dance so it's all that good stuff i really really enjoyed it and i uh, will put that and jess's book in the show notes at crime scene we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes you can follow crime scene on twitter at crime scene rhap that's at crime s-e-e-n-r-h-a-p or you can email us uh by sending emails to crime scene r-h-a-p at gmail.com again that's crime scene r-h-a-p at gmail.com also go follow us on instagram uh you can follow us on instagram at crime scene podcast on instagram we will post our our images from the episodes i'm a little behind i apologize but i'm I'm posting them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I promise <laughs> where you can talk about your ratings for the, the properties that we review. Um, so Jess and Sarah, what do you guys having have going on and where can we find you? We'll start with Sarah. Yeah. So you can hear more from Jess and I at shit 90 shows taught me where we cover a bunch of 90 shows. We are in our final season of boy meets world, our seventh season. Amazing. It's really, it's really incredible. It's, we started this journey in 2020 and it's just crazy that we are, um, 
on our final season of that. We are also getting into the college years of Dawson's Creek. That's also a lot of fun. And then in addition to that, we do 90s bonus content such as movies. This is October. So for the month of October, we are doing Halloweeny movies. We um covered our third Halloween Town movie. <laughs> you don't know why, but we did. Well, we keep we like to suffer. That's we the hate ourselves, but we're mm-hmm. also covering I know what you did last summer for Halloween. So I'm really looking forward to that because Jess has Ooh. never seen it. We've Ooh. had Sarah Carradine on before and um hope to have talked about interview you. with a vampire. Oh my God, which changed my life. It really mm-hmm. did. Yeah, and that show just came on too. So yeah. it's like we had great we I'm gonna say we manifested that. Let's we just do that. <laughs> yeah. So um find all of that and more at shit nineties pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Sarah Ferguson. Yeah, for me, I'm at the Just Sterling of recently. So I'm usually doing community building over on Post Show Recaps with Josh Wiggler, where we talk about the show Community. We just finished season three, taking a little bit of a break before we start season four, but you can still check us out. Uh, Go back through the backlogs. Um, I'm also finishing up the Hulu sitcom reboot over on Post Show Recaps. That has actually been a really fun show. You're looking for something very lighthearted after getting into some true crime. Highly recommend that show. There's a, You can get a lot of laughs out of it. It has Judy Greer, a true icon. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. Now she's the bride in this show because she's fabulous. Um, Keegan-Michael Key is in it as well. So go check that out. And then since this uh, podcast is dropping uh, at this specific time, I can announce that uh, I'm going to be on another podcast very soon. Um, The show Mythic Quest is coming back to Apple TV. I'm going to be covering that with uh, Adam. So we cover Reboot together. We're going to keep the party going and continue to cover stuff. We're going to cover Mythic Quest, which is like a gaming show on Apple TV. It had two seasons. We're going to start off by recapping seasons one and two ahead of the season three premiere. So really, really excited for that. It's a really fun show. I think that's everything. I can't. If there is anything else, go find me at the Just Sterling, and I'm sure I'll tweet about it. There you go. Uh, SC, where can the people find you? Well, always tweeting at Sarah Carradine, where I will tell you everything that I'm doing. So I talked uh, last time about things being on the uh, back burner. They are now coming to the simmer, but they're still on the back burner. I'll tell you about them next week. How about you, Murray? Okay, every week me and uh, Matt Scott talk about the highlights of the week in wrestling on the Wrestling Rehab Up podcast. You can go to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed to subscribe there. We pride ourselves on being able to talk to you about wrestling, even if you don't watch it, if you're a casual fan, a hardcore fan, or a laps fan. So come um, listen to me and Matt and our wonderful guests talk about wrestling every week. Of course, I am back in Atlanta with the amazing Latanya Starks and Chappelle, where we are um, covering the fourth and final season of Atlanta for post-show recaps. It's been a wild ride with Earning the Gang. We have a few more episodes left, so go check us out by going to postshowrecaps.com slash Atlanta to hear us talk about some very funny Afro-surrealism I'm also on the book club podcast with Taryn and Rich, where we go over the House of the Dragons from a a book reader's perspective. We all read Fire and Blood and we review the show. And as as a book reader, the uh, season finale of House of the Dragon just premiered. So uh, just 
finale. <laughs> and so go listen to us talk about that. I had so much fun just stepping in and stepping onto the council for these last three episodes. So just go check that out. It's It's been so fun covering dragons and fire and blood. Um, you can go and fire uh, follow me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two, like the number two, where I'll be tweeting out everything that I'm doing. Whew. Okay. <laughs> Sarah, Poor what do we have coming up for next week? Well, <laughs> next time on uh, Crime Scene, we're reviewing The Murder of Gabby Petito, Truth, Lies, and Social Media. That's on Peacock. So watch it there and send us your comments and questions. And I have to say, I here's a little, a little, a little uh, preview. I was incredibly resistant for this going on our docket. And the fact that it's on our docket should tell you how I've done a 180. Not the 360 that Barney did, but a 180 <laughs> of my own. Perfectly said. Thanks to Jess Sterling and Sarah Ferguson for joining us. Will from America for the theme music. Tricky Rice for the graphics. Chelsea Lesser and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time. Case, case closed. <laughs>